Let's talk about rewilding. Rewilding is an idea whose time has come. It was birthed in the wilderness movements of the 1970s and the land care movements of the 80s. And the notion that we can restore wilderness and reap the benefits of biodiversity resonates with a population suffering from nature deficit disorder. Uh, last week, Eco Radio News discussed farmers reintroducing high order predators, in that case dingoes, to work with rather than against nature and to manage feral pests. First Nations stewardship of country offers healing in a fractured and diverse world. We can rebuild water tables, insect populations and marine ecosystems by rewilding agricultural land. Better still, we can do it in our cities. Creek ecosystems are returning to the middle of Brisbane thanks to the replanting of riparian vegetation and the setting back of industrial estates from creeks. That's all good. Even better, we can accompany rewilding with the end of industrial harming of farm animals that currently feeds an increasing human population's increasing appetite for protein. So to feed that appetite, we currently enslave and torture hundreds of millions of animals in steel sheds to produce protein for our meat pies, hamburgers, breakfast, stir fries and noodle soups. So plant-based protein will put an end to all of this and doesn't require the vast amounts of agricultural land that we currently use because we can shovel our sugar, our sugarcane bagasse, our bamboo stalks, our hemp herd from our medical marijuana crops, along with the waste from our cities, into huge steel vats where single-cell microbes will digest it and produce protein, yes, but also fuels, plastics, fertiliser and explosives. Everything that we can now make from large animals and fossil fuels can be grown in these clean, green, ethically justifiable microbe factories. As we say of climate chaos, this is not the future, it is already happening. Hungry Jacks sells a plant-based burger. You can purchase 3D printed Wagyu steaks online and the Queensland Government has invested uh, about $10 million in food futures funds into a biosynthesis plant in Mackay to produce everything from Band-Aids to rocket fuel. So, the future is already here. It's not yet evenly distributed. Well, what could go wrong? Where is the ghost in the machine? The first sign of a problem is the colonial history of these current efforts. Many European nations rely on their colonial possessions to fund their idyllic ethical lifestyle. Norway takes 66% of the profit from Ecuador's oil, for example. Australia's got a similar relationship with East Timor. Germany's biofuels are largely cropped in North Africa. Relegating First Nations people to the role of rangers on wilderness theme parks is hardly the stuff of treaty. So the first challenge is colonialism. The second challenge is Jevon's paradox. When we make production more efficient, we do not meet current demand. We just increase future demand. So because solar energy is free, I leave my air conditioner on full time. 
because single plastics are biosynthesized and biodegradable. I will wear plastic gloves while unwrapping my plastic wrapped food to put in my plastic lined bin to feed the great organic waste recycling system. There is no end to our desire for more. The third challenge is the politics of power. Just as you and I want convenience and comfort, regardless of the external impact, those who own the means of production simply want to maximise the accrued benefit to them while externalising the cost. I see a completely different future, an alternative to this industrialised view of rewilding. I want my children and grandchildren to know what it is to plant and nurture a seed to grow a plant, to pick and eat the fruit, to preserve and process that fruit so that they have access to those nutrients when fruit is no longer hanging from the vine. Part of that is a survivalist urge. I grew up chopping wood to heat water, digging pits to bury shit, and slaughtering animals to eat. I know that I can survive if the lights go off, the aliens land, or the bomb drops. I want to pass that knowledge on. I think that is integral to our interaction with nature. Part of my vision is romantic rusticism. My grandfather squirted milk into the back of my mouth from the teeth of a cow he was milking, and that was a grand cultural food movement that equals the best rock music, virtual reality or story writing that I've ever read. Perhaps more important than that survivalism or that rusticism, though, is my belief in community. I love my neighbour knocking on my door, asking me to taste his honey liqueur. I love sending him home with over-garlic baba ganoush that was an eggplant this morning. And I love that even though I love technology. I invented my first calculator at 11 years old, but I left information technology for politics, mainly because I got sick of talking to machines. Flawed and illogical as people are, they make me laugh. They make me cry. They make me love and hate. They make me furious and delighted. I prefer that world of passion to the world of clear, cool logic, even though I love what cool, clear logic can achieve. I don't want all my food to come from clean steel vats. We went there in the 60s when our butter was proudly advertised as being untouched by human hand. Back then, wilderness was a synonym for evil. We kept it at bay so that civilization could flourish. I'm glad that 60 years on we can embrace wilderness and that we enjoy the benefits of automation that my generation invented. Regardless, the flawed process of fighting off butterflies to pick a cabbage and turn that cabbage into sauerkraut and perhaps finding one stray caterpillar in the sauerkraut is worth salvaging. Sure, the steel vats might keep the streetlights on and the wheels of industry turning, but the lights at my place are candle-powered and reveal a rich spread of handmade and homegrown delights spread on a tapestry woven from grass roots. You can't beat that. <laughs>